some van hager out of the way uh you know i'm gonna do more of that because honestly there's mostly i hated i all, all you know pretense of of apologist stuff about oh well you know it's an amazing feat to dump your lead singer and move on like that and there's really only like a handful of bands in the history of bands who've ever accomplished it successfully blah 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 yeah Basically, I didn't, I never liked Van Halen with Sammy Hagar. I, I, and, and it wasn't because of Sammy. I mean, some of it's because I, I think he tends to write the same song over and over again. Um, but really the big part of it was I didn't like what happened to the sound of the band. Um, and, and the story goes that, um, uh, Ed got to be really good friends with Steve Lukather, um, from Toto and who played on every session record ever, you know, was a session guitar player in Hollywood forever, played on everything, played on Michael Jackson's records, which apparently is how Ed got to know him because they were in the studio together when Michael, uh, when Ed was recording uh, solo for Beat It. Um, and the, they got to be buds and, and Steve Lukather is like a, a mad scientist when it comes to gear you know in the in the music world if you're a musician we all talk about gear right and Lukather is like the ultimate gearhead um and a lot most I think most session musicians are because being able to just like conjure sounds out of your instrument is is part of your gig it's part of what you get paid for um and so like Ed Ed was a guy who was just obsessed with chasing sound right and um, he meets Steve Lukather and Steve Lukather introduces him to like all these guys who build gear. And instead of the utterly unique sounding rig that Ed had built for himself, that was the signature of his sound from 1976 on through like 1983, um, he goes and buys all that stuff. And the first record that he makes with Sammy Hagar singing, um, his guitar kind of sounds like Steve Lukather, if Steve Lukather was trying to play Van Halen. 
right? Like Steve Lukather got hired. I always felt like those records sounded a bit like somebody hired a session guy to try and sound like Van Halen. Um, and, and then the lyrics are kind of dopey and the, you know, Sammy's like got no dynamics in his singing unless he's singing a, a ballad. Um, and so, you know, it just, uh, it just, bleh, I, I hated it. That's, that was my thing. And like my friends couldn't understand it. Cause like, Oh, he's such a great singer. And David Lee Roth is a terrible singer and he forgets the words. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Um, I, I, <laughs> I didn't care because I thought the, the David Lee Roth era Van Halen had more swagger and, and, and coolness and uniqueness to it. And I liked the way Ed's guitar sounded on those records. Like the, okay. So played good enough from, um, the, the 5150 record, the first, um, Van Hagar album. And before that, Dance the Night Away, which is a, from Van Halen 2 and is totally uniquely Ed. Like, if everybody lost their minds over Eruption, which is what I started off with, and the sound of the guitar on that, when they heard Van Halen 2 and they heard him do the finger, the harmonic finger tapping thing, like, everybody I knew who was a guitar player just went, what the cuss? Does it, is there no bottom to the bag of tricks? And there, and there kind of wasn't, um, cause then, okay. So after eruption, I'm back announcing this really badly. The second song I played mean street from fair warning, my absolute favorite Van Halen record. Like I was seriously tempted to just play eruption and then all of fair warning <laughs> tonight. <laughs> cause the, the deal with that record is the story goes that that's the most Edward Van Halen Van Halen record ever made. It's the one where he took charge and he made it his own. Um, and it didn't do that well commercially. And, and, and I think that beat him up a little bit. And it, it may have been one of the reasons why he kind of ran away from that sound, that heavier kind of crazy Eddie sound. But the, the, again, the, the stuff at the beginning of mean street, it's, it, you're, I remember hearing that as a kid and just going, ah, I quit. I quit. I can't be a guitar player because I can't play like that. I, I don't even know. My brain doesn't, can't wrap itself around what's necessary to do that. Now, I'm in my 50s now, and I've been living with being a Van Halen fan and a guitar player since I was 11. I can do some of it now. Um, not well, but I can do it, and I get it, and I'm even more impressed now. That's the thing. I am even more impressed. You're listening to The Public Record. This is Joe Public. I am doing a tribute to Mr. Edward Van Halen, who passed away a week from a week ago today. Um, so one of the things, like, everybody knows Ed played on Michael Jackson's Thriller album. He, he played the guitar solo on Beat It, and it was probably the first place anybody who wasn't a hard rock fan heard his guitar playing. Um, and... It stood out, and um, the story goes. Actually, this was this was widely reported over the the week. Is that he was brought into the session by Quincy Jones, who was the producer, and uh, initially was just you know brought in to sit down and play a guitar solo. When he sat down and he was like dealing with the song as it was written, he he had problems with the structure of the song. Well, and Quincy Jones, being a guy 
who recognizes an opportunity to uh, make some use of uh, genius who happens to be in the room, said, well, what would you do? And so Ed rearranged the whole song. He didn't just play the solo on that song. He completely altered the arrangement. And the story goes that um, he fully expected everything he had done to be erased and thrown in the trash um, because he knew he didn't know Michael Jackson, but he knew Michael Jackson was the shiznit. He was a big deal in the pop world. And you didn't just walk in the studio and rearrange one of his songs. Um, but Ed, like, got in touch with him and let him know, hey, I I think I screwed up your song. And Michael listened to what Ed had done and he, he, he dug it. And the story goes that he actually let it stand mostly because Ed had the courtesy to say, hey, I messed up your song. Um, rather than just doing it, walking out of the building and, and leaving it as is. Um, but you know, that's the thing. The guy, the guy wasn't just a great guitar player. He was a great arranger, um, and he was a great songwriter when he implied himself, um, and sometimes he didn't apply himself so much, but, you know, there you go. But anyway, getting to the topic at hand, um, what a lot of people don't know is that he played sessions um, on other people's music, like this song. <laughs>
the task has once begun Never leave it till it's done Be thy neighbor great or small Do it well or not at all Yeah.
okay, weird, weird experience to me. Okay, I, I, I generally avoid music from high school. Like, that's, like, unless it's something that I loved at the time, if it was just, like, wallpaper music, Michael Jackson, let's beat it, um, when I was in high school, I tend to avoid it. And, and it's not because I don't like it, it's just because I heard it enough kind of thing, you know? And that's just a weird quirk of mine. So I haven't actually listened to Beat It with headphones on since I was 16. That's a great song. I mean, it's, yeah, duh. Duh, Joe. It was a huge hit. Massive hit. Of course it's great. That's not what I mean. What I mean is just, it's the craft in there is amazing and even more amazing to know that it is what it is because Eddie Van Halen said oh this song is kind of fucked up i'm gonna fix it oh got the e um before that ll cool j with we're the greatest and i gotta i gotta just hang on just a second i gotta read you y'all something here so that's one of those things like there there's there's a handful of things that people uh you know just generally don't know or out there um, I guess if you were an LL Cool J fan, you probably are aware of uh, of the fact that Eddie Van Halen played on an LL Cool J record. Maybe you might be aware of this. If not, what you don't know is that um, after the uh, crash and burn was the um, return to um, Van Halen of uh, Sammy Hagar after the Gary Sharon incident, which we will not speak of tonight or listen to. Um, Ed had hip replacement surgery. He'd had tongue cancer surgery and, and life, you know, and, ugh, you know, his life just kind of blew. And um, he ended up co-producing an album for LL Cool J um, and, and this, and played on this song. Um, the album is called the greatest and um, the song's called we're the greatest. And it's got this amazing line in it. He's and, and LL Cool J says, I got Van Halen. I don't need a bass line. And it dawned on me as I'm like listening to that. There's no bass line on that song. It's just like drum beats, LL and, Ed. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's cool that the the LL got is got that into the the lyrics too. It's just fun. Um and before that, an even more like what the what kind of uh Eddie Van Halen archival moment. That was uh Nicolette Larson's song called Can't Get Away From You, which was recorded in 1978. So this is the crazy thing. This is basically in the moment in which Eddie Van Halen and his band have just like exploded into the world of rock music with a record that sounded like nobody else had ever sounded before. And he gets asked to play on this record and he says, okay, but I don't want to be credited because I don't want to confuse people. I, I think he didn't want people to think he was like some, you know, session guy. Um, so he's not credited on the record. There's a question mark 
on the the track listing for the credits there but yeah if you if you know his playing style you know it's him especially over the the tail at the end of the song there you go i'm joe public you're listening to the public record and i'm smiling a little bit i'm sad because um mr edward van halen was a big hero of mine um I mean, a huge hero. I dressed as him for Halloween when I was 14 years old. That's how big of a fan I was. 13, 14, yeah, I dressed as him on Halloween. Yeah. And uh, saw him live a whole bunch of times. And, and um, you know, seeing Van Halen live um, pre-Sammy uh, uh, Hagar, seeing Van Halen live was just literally just rolling the dice. If you caught them on a good night, which I did, once um it was phenomenal it was amazing everything if everything was clicking and and nobody was too drunk it was amazing um if you caught him on a bad night you might get to um endure the spectacle of david lee roth not remembering any of the words the melody of the song the timing anything um and in that case, and and I saw them do that at, at a at a show at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, um, where pretty much the most entertaining thing in that show was the shit talking that David Lee Roth did in between songs because the audience was pissed. The audience was not happy having like stood in line, general admission show at the Cow Palace. It's cold outside. Um, they're not happy to come into the building and then have the band they paid to, to see just basically take a dump on the stage. Um, that wasn't cool. Um, so they're hackling and they're belittling the band and David Lee Roth um, was up there in terms of dealing with hecklers. He's up there with George Carlin um, and Pat Oswalt and Sarah Silverman, um, Nikki Glaser for being able to just make a heckler shrink into nothingness um yeah so that was the most entertaining part of that show i felt like i got my money's worth um from that and from ed solo that he did in 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 the middle of the show that's about it um i do remember enduring a drum solo ugh (laughs) um and I also do remember enduring a bass solo, which was comically funny be- to me because at the time I didn't realize how good of a bass player Michael Anthony was. Um, Mike is actually a great bass player, but he always played really simple parts for the most part on Van Halen songs because he didn't want to get in the way of, of what Ed was doing. And also because Ed didn't want him to get in the way. Um, so he tended to just, you know, ride a, a, a note and, you know, follow the chord changes kind of thing and so i assumed he wasn't that good so him doing a bass solo was really comical because i just figured okay if he can do a bass solo who can't Uh, (laughs) well maybe i was not totally wrong so anyway last week when i had sort of um foreshadowed this and i was going to do it last week one of the things i have in my bag of tricks related to van halen is some stuff that people really have not heard uh, or most people unless you're an obsessive fan like me so um in the in the annals of the origin of the band van halen a lot of people know the story that gene simmons discovered them gene simmons of kiss not only discovered them, he financed their first demos and tried to get them signed. He basically wanted to manage them. Um, 
And of course he wanted to sign them to his own label um, that he was on Casablanca Records. Um, Bob Alcoin or Bill Alcoin, Casablanca Records had less than no interest. Um, I mean, Kiss was the only rock band on the label. Every other artist on the label was doing disco and that was selling great. So in 1976, 77, why would Bill Alcoin want anything to do with, um, have anything to do with a hard rock band? Um, so they said no. And everybody else that Gene Simmons talked to said no. Um, and Gene Simmons could have been a dick. I mean, historically speaking, he would have been a dick, uh, but he wasn't. What he actually did is he said, these guys are really great. I'm not going to hold them back. Maybe I'm part of the problem. And he gave them their demos and said, go ahead and shop yourselves. And it, in very short order, they got signed to Warner Brothers Records. Um, but he produced a whole set of demos at Electric Lady Studios and I have them. <laughs> and so that's what I'm going to play right now. These are what are affectionately known as the Zero Demos. And I'll give you the back announcing on the songs after I play a few. Here we go. You might recognize some of these. <laughs>
That sound effect will make an appearance later. <laughs> that was House of Pain from the Zero Demos, Gene Simmons demos that he did of Van Halen back in the day. Um, before that was Woman in Love, a title that Van Halen would recycle multiple times, oddly enough, and start off on fire, which is somewhat recognizable to the um, well-known version, more well-known version. I don't know. It's, to me, okay, here's the thing. The story goes, Gene Simmons flew them to New York because that's where he lived so that he could produce these demos for them, and then he would shop them and get them a deal. And they recorded at Electric Lady Studios, which is the studio that Jimi Hendrix built and specced with Eddie Kramer. And um, they just... Gene just flew them out there, basically, with their guitars. And... Um, Part of the story goes that, you know, nobody in the band was particularly happy with the fact that uh, they had to play the studio's equipment, um, play on the studio's equipment, the amps and stuff that was there. And Ed in particular wasn't because, you know, he... he <sighs> Musicians and, and, and guitar players who grew up as fans of Eddie Van Halen know that Ed was... Um, he wasn't just a wizard at playing his instrument. He was a, he was like a mad scientist who ripped the guts out of guitars and chopped off parts of them and shaved down the backs of guitar necks and things like that because he was, he was seeking an experience of playing the instrument and a sound that he heard in his head. And he couldn't get with the equipment that was handy and readily available. And that included amplifiers and effects pedals and, and basically everything. Um, he managed to get the sound of his amplifiers on the, on the early Van Halen records through um, this weird uh, mumbo-jumbo that he did using a device called a Variac that varied the voltage on the output transformer of the amp, basically um, changing the voltage of the circuit and, and allowing it to do things it was not designed to do. And, and sort of infamously, um, Ed plugged this Variac device into um, Marshall amplifiers and just blew them to smithereens because of the stress the device put on the amplifiers. But he got the sound that he wanted, um, and when you are selling millions of records, you can just buy more amplifiers. And so that's kind of what he did until he figured out how to wire this into the amplifier itself and make it an integrated part of the circuit so that it didn't just blow it up. But, but when they did these Zero demos, when they did these Gene Simmons demos in New York, he just had to plug into the amplifiers that were there. And the incredible thing to me about that is... He's basically playing on none of his own gear. I mean, he's got his own guitar, um, but he doesn't have any of the stuff that makes uh, that that he's had at his disposal for their live shows to make him sound like the way he wanted to sound. And yet, uh, it's recognizably him. And and that that speaks to another you know, famous Eddie Van Halen stories that they were on tour. Um, once they'd sort of, um, 
gone beyond the level of being the opening act. Um, they sort of famously did they before they toured on their own. They toured as the opening act for Black Sabbath on the last tour that um, Black Sabbath did before they fired Ozzy Osbourne in 1978. Um, and uh, after that tour, they were headliners in their own right. And Ed. Um, <laughs> as a I've lost my train of thought anyway yeah just was able to do he was able to do stuff that that nobody else was able to do he was a wizard the man was a wizard and if you were a guitar guy you knew that to me the amazing thing is is that oh I know where I was going with the story I was going to talk about um on that headlining tour, one of their opening acts was a sad little man known as Ted Nugent. And Ted Nugent um, hasn't only been a prick in the last 10 to 15 years. He's actually been a huge asshole for his entire life and career. Um, if you want to look up the fuckery that that guy got up to with his original band um, and the shit he did to them to utterly just ruin their lives and take the band away from them. You know, be my guest. Go, go, duck, duck, go it or Google it or whatever you feel like. But yeah, Ted Nugent, always an asshole. Um, and come 1979, you know, Ted's star is on the descent and the Van Halen star is on the ascent. And so Ted gets booked to open for Van Halen. He's gonna, he's gonna do part of a tour as the opening act. And he's just a prick about it the whole time and is constantly loudly heard saying, oh, this guy's nothing. He's not that great. It's all in his equipment. It's all in that special amp he's got. It's all in that pedal board he's got. It's all in that guitar he's got. And the story goes that um, Ed's guitar tech got really tired of hearing this. And at some point, like just setting up for a sound check, just motions Ted, come over here, hands him Ed's guitar, play it. And Ted plays it and plays it and plays it. And the tech says, what do you think? And Ted kind of hangs his head and goes, God damn it. I sound like Ted Nugent. The sound of a guitar player, my friends is in the guitar player's hands. Um, and, and that was my very circuitous way of, of talking about the fact that, you know, even with equipment he didn't want to be using, uh, Edward Van Halen was able to, to make a sound that was distinctly his own at Electric Lady Studios while he was doing those demos with Gene Simmons. Anyway, I'm going to get to some more well-known Van Halen recording. Um, this is one of my favorite songs of theirs ever because it's just mean. <laughs> Oops. Let's try that again. I hit I double clicked. That's what I did. Let's, here we go. Well my baby, she don't want me around. She says she's tired of watching me fall down. <laughs> she wants a good life and all the best. But I like that bottle better than the rest And she said, I think that you're headed for a whole lot of trouble Well, I think that you're headed for a whole lot of trouble Well, I think that you're headed for a whole lot of trouble If you take your whiskey 
another cigarette over here. Is there anything left in that bottle?
I genuinely like that song. Easily my favorite uh, Van Hagar song. Easily. And I saw a clip, um, it was either today or yesterday, of uh, Sammy and Michael Anthony playing that song. Because um, he's doing it. So today's, today's Sammy Hagar's birthday, by the way. He's 73 years old, which is insane to me. I hope I am that full of piss and vinegar when I'm 73. I seriously hope so. Um, it, it actually gives me hope because I know that, dude, just, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I never partied as hard as Sammy. In fact, I am positive that I never came even remotely close. Um, and the fact that he's still out there rocking and doing stuff. I mean, some of that is the fact that he's a gazillionaire. Um, and can probably like, you know, get injections of fresh blood whenever he needs it or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I saw this clip of them performing, uh, at the birthday festivities for Sammy Hagar. Um, and they did that song and it, it was, it was very emotional. It was very emotional for both of them, very emotional for me to watch it. And, um, yeah, as, as a guy who's had, um, as a person who's had people depart on him with issues between us, um, yeah, I, I, I wonder, I wonder what it's like. Is it worse if you lose somebody that you, that everything was cool with or that is it worse when it's, it's somebody that you had all kinds of stuff you still needed to sort out with them. And and I was very happy. I was actually very happy to read that Sammy um, and Ed had reconciled and they were communicating regularly um, over the past eight or nine months or so. Because um, 
you'd say what you will about the, you know, the quality of the music or whatever. Um, it, it was pretty clear that at, at the peak of their partnership, when Sammy was in Van Halen, um, that partnership did them both a lot of good. And they, they, they seemed like they genuinely loved each other. And so I, I, you hate to hear that the two people who cared about each other a lot had a falling out and they couldn't figure it out. And so it was cool to me to read that, uh, they, they did sort of figure it out. Um, but you know, it just, it sucks. It sucks. Anyway, before that, I played Push Comes to Shove from my favorite Van Halen album, Fair Warning. Uh, Jamie's Crying, which is just, I mean, it's so good. Tone Loke turned it into a song. I mean, that's, what are you going to do? Um, and before that, Take Your Whiskey Home, which is one of my favorites. And, and it's, it's yeah. Yeah. I used to play that all the time. I would play that riff um, when I was playing the guitar all the time. And um, in my punk rock days, it did not endear me with the folks I was playing with. Um, sort of similar to me and the drummer in the in the hardcore band I played in, um, warming up playing YYZ by Rush uh, when I was playing bass and he was playing drums. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> to say that we almost got our ass, asses kicked more than once... Um, that would not be an overstatement of the facts. I'm Joe Public. This is Public Record. I'm I'm doing the Eddie Van Halen thing, and um, I, uh, you know, what's funny is like people like people have have opinions. They have strong opinions that are fans of bands, and they have strong opinions for or against certain records. And most Van Halen fans, most folks who were fans of the band before the, you know. Up, apart from the Sammy Hagar stuff, most people, if you ask them what's what's the worst Van Halen record, they're gonna like all the hands go up for Diver Down, and it's really not a bad record at all. It's just it's just one of those records where coming right after Fair Warning, which was so obviously just this well thought out, well constructed thing that was a, a of a piece and so consistently good from beginning to end. Um, Diver Down sounded like what it was. It sounded like a record the record company made them make, um, where they threw stuff together. However, it has this song on it.
hear about it later. Van Halen from Fair Warning, my favorite Van Halen record. Before that, Hot for Teacher. Um, yeah, that's one of those songs. Like I remember the very first time I heard Hot for Teacher, I thought to myself, I not only quit playing guitar, I quit playing the drums. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and everybody wants some uh was before that that's that's a uh, see that's another one of those songs where i hear it and i see a movie and i see uh the uh john cusack movie um the one with the two dollars thing um I see the scene where he's like working in the kitchen and the like the food gets up and starts playing everybody wants some. That's what I see. And I can't think of the name of that that movie for some reason. That's weird. And Hang 'em High started us off. You're listening to the Public Record. I'm Joe Public. We're doing the Van Halen tribute thing. I'm just playing Van Halen stuff. Um yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I've got, you know, another mm-hmm, 23 minutes, 24 minutes, 22 minutes. I just keep staring at this clock. It'll become less. <laughs> uh, did I mention this year sucks? You know, and um, it's not this year, right? You know, this is all roosting of chickens, right? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. But you know what? We still have rock and roll. Um yeah, yeah. Having a young one's moment there. Pop music will save us now. Anyway, um so uh, there's like a handful of things in in the oeuvre of Eddie Van Halen where he truly demonstrated that he was not just a guy who did pyrotechnics on the guitar but could actually really play. And uh, I remember I fondly remember, like, my mother hated most of the music I listened to growing up. Um, I think she hated two bands far more than any other, uh, Led Zeppelin and Van Halen. Like, those were the two she just could not abide at all. And I remember her saying to me, this guy is just, this is just garbage. None of these people can play their instruments. And so I played her this, and it utterly changed her opinion. Yeah, there you go.
Yeah. That's Van Halen, Beautiful Girls from Van Halen 2. Before that, Best of Both Worlds, another Van Hagar song in there. And uh, some argue the best, the best Van Hagar song, which is from the first record that Sammy Hagar was on. So, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> before that, Ain't Talking About Love from Van Halen 1. And Spanish Fly, the song that made my mother realize that the guy that made the horrible noises that she hated actually was pretty good at playing the guitar. Yeah. I, I did the same deal with Jimmy Page. Like, I played the beginning of Stairway to Heaven for my mother, and like she just nodded and said, okay, I'll shut up. Um, she still hated the rest of it, but she liked, liked the beginning part. Anyway, I'm Joe Public. This is public record. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be signing off here very very shortly. I'm not gonna come back on the mic. I'm gonna play some music out, and then we're done. Uh, thank you for joining us, joining me, us, me, we, joining we, meanus, Eunice, usness, wayness. Um. Anyway, thank you. I appreciate it. I always do. I appreciate it every week, but I'm going to tell you every week that I appreciate it and I appreciate you and thank you. Thank you for being here with me. Otherwise, it's super lonely and I... (laughs) uh, Life is lonely enough right now. I will be back, fate's willing, next week at the same bat time, same bat channel. And hopefully playing more than one band worth of music right well i played a little bit more than one band worth of music tonight so yeah um you know i'm i'm you know not to to go out on a on a i want to go out on a on a high note two things one okay so my little virtual like dj rig here has records virtual records in front of me and i've been literally looking at one version or another of the iconic Van Halen, original Van Halen logo spinning in front of me all night. And it, it made me realize, you know, that was like a, there were like, that was one of the badges of honor that you put on your peachy folder when, when I was a kid in, in middle school was like, you declared your tribe by drawing the Van Halen logo on your peachy folder. And if you did it really well, like, uh, like, a friend or a, a cute girl might ask you to draw one on their peachy folder, and I did that a couple times. That was pretty cool. So thank you, Van Halen. <laughs> the other thing being that life in the 21st century, for those of us who were born in the middle of the middle-ish of the 20th century, is very much becoming a series of saying goodbye um, to significant people. Um, And those can be significant. They can be friends. um, They can be family. um, And or they can be just people that you admired, you know, or looked up to or inspired you in some way. Eddie Van Halen very much inspired me. Um, one of the things that happened in my life because of Eddie Van Halen is that I took up playing the bass. Because <laughs> I never wanted to be a lead guitar player, right? I, I never wanted to solo. Like, I, I, to this day, like, if I'm told, okay, you got to do a solo, it, it's, it's painful 
for me. It's not a thing I do comfortably. It's not a thing I enjoy. Um, I struggle with it in a, in a big way. And uh, when I was like 12, 13 years old, it was just utterly intimidating. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I just wanted to be Malcolm Young. I wanted to be, or Keith Richards. I wanted to be the rhythm guitar player in the band. I wanted to be the fifth guy in the band. Well, one of the things that happened because of the popularity of Van Halen is the composition of bands changed and um, nobody had a rhythm guitar player anymore. Like there was no Keith Richards. There's no Malcolm Young. Every band was four pieces. It was a guitar player, bass player, drummer, and singer. That was it. That was the configuration for all the bands. And um, not not wanting to learn how to be the next Eddie Van Halen um, left me kind of out on the sidelines. And, and then through good fortune, I ended up with a bass guitar at some point. And... Uh, yeah, found out when you're uh, a kid with a bass guitar and a bass amplifier, um, you're basically in a band, like, the next day. The day after everybody finds out you have those two things, you're in a band. And so that was the beginning of my world of playing in bands. Um, I'm still shocked and amazed that I've been asked to be a guitar player in so many bands since then, because it's, it's not my strong suit. I will take that four-string behemoth any day over the six strings and all the attention they garner. So cheers to you, Edward Van Halen. Um, I admired you and your, and your ability and your, your technical ability and your, your wizardry, your ability to have a vision and, and see it through. I admired that and um, it had a big influence on me. So cheers to you, my friend. Um, I hope, Whatever has happened to you in the afterlife is better than what you were going through here. And I am going to go out with a couple of songs. I'm going to run over a little bit. Um, I'm going to go out with a couple of songs. This one is from the Women and Children First album, and it's one of my favorites. This is Fools. Oh, <laughs> 